0: Exodus 16, and we'll start in verse 1. Again, verse 1, if you would read along with me. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day, of the second month after, they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the land of Egypt and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord for what are we that you grumble against us and Moses said when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him what are we your grumbling is not against us but against the Lord then Moses said to Aaron Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just pray this morning that you are here, that you're with us, that your word, Lord, is proclaimed, that your truth, as Will spoke this morning, is heard and that we hear your truth, and that we examine our hearts to see what your truth reveals about us, Lord. I I pray that you're with us this morning, Lord, as we continue to talk about this subject of grumbling, Lord, that, Lord, you expose not only our hearts, Lord, but that we see the character of Israel, that we see your character, Lord, that we understand what, what a pure heart looks like when it is tested with trials, Lord. God, I pray that you're with us this morning, Lord, and I pray that you challenge us, convict us, Lord, that the Spirit speaks to our heart. In your Son's name, amen. Last week, we covered the end of Exodus chapter 15, which I said last week kind of acts like an introduction to the next few chapters in the book of Exodus. This is really a transitioning point. Israel is left Egypt and now is in the wilderness, and again, the end of chapter 15 introduces 16, chapter 16 through 18, which is Israel's trials in the wilderness, or I will often refer to as the wilderness narrative. We learned last week that in the wilderness, Israel is saved, they're on the other side of the Red Sea, They're, they're saved from the slavery that they had in Egypt. God has redeemed them, but they're not home. They're not in the promised land. Instead, they find themselves in the wilderness, facing trials and tribulations, which, as I said last week, is similar to us as the church. We are saved. You've put your faith in Christ. You're saved. You're freed from the slavery of sin. You're a new creation, just like Israel is a new creation on the other side of the Red Sea. We are adopted into the family of God, and he is our king, we are his people, but we are not home. We are not in the promised land, we're not in eternity, we're not in paradise. The church now lives in a type of wilderness between the first coming of Christ where he saved us, and the second coming of Christ where he will take us home. Meaning, as we learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there is much we can learn from the Wilderness narrative. Much we can learn from Israel in the wilderness. Right. Again, we live in a type of wilderness right now. So, I have three points of the sermon this morning through this passage. I want to look at three different characters that are presented. The first character is Israelites. So we're going to look at the character of the Israelites. The second is God, the character of God, and kind of comparing the character of the Israelites to the character of God. And finally, I want to look at the character of a pure heart. So let's start with the character of the Israelites. Again, look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, they set out from Elam and all the congregation, the people of Israel, came to the wilderness of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Now, they probably were at Elim for a couple of weeks And if you remember from last week Elim was this oasis in the wilderness It was a place where there was Much water, it says 12 springs And 70 palm trees Meaning there was a lot of water and there was shade They found rest and water In Elim But they left Elim after spending A couple weeks there and verse 2 Look what it says And the whole congregation of the people of Israel Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Again, just like last week, within one verse of the blessings of God, this this oasis that God led him to in Elam, within one verse, there's a trial. And Israel's grumbling. Again, the word grumble in Hebrew sometimes is translated murmured or murmuring. That may be in your translation if you don't have the ESV. It just means complaining or whining. It's a major theme in chapters 15 through 18. Again, we got the introduction to this last week. Last week, we saw that really grumbling is a major sin. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul, who's reflecting on the the wilderness narrative, lists grumbling with pagan idolatry, and not just pagan idolatry, but gross sexual pagan idolatry. Pagan idolatry, sexual immorality, and putting Christ to the test. These are all major sins, and and Paul is is making very clear that grumbling is a major sin. It's not, as we saw last week, it's not that Israel didn't have legitimate concerns. Last week, they, they were without water. This week, they're running out of food. It's not that they didn't have legitimate concerns. It's that they approached their concerns in an ungodly manner. They grumbled, they whined, they complained, which... Leads to an important question. This is a question I want to examine this week. Where does grumbling come from? This is, question really is key in understanding ourselves. Okay, where does grumbling come from? It's important that the Bible just makes it extremely clear that outside circumstances are not the cause of grumbling. Trials are not the cause of grumbling. Grumbling. Again, grumbling doesn't come from the outside. Grumbling comes from within. Grumbling and complaining comes from the heart. Outside circumstances just expose what is already within our hearts. One commentator put it this way. Our complaining and whining are never caused by outside or outward circumstances. Instead, they just reveal the inward condition of our hearts. In other words, if you want to see the true character of a person, put that person in a trial and see what comes out of their hearts. If you're known as someone, and I just want to get right in to the reality of this passage and what's going on. if If you're known as someone who complains, who whines, who nags, who gossips, who grumbles when you don't get your way, It's not the circumstances that is causing the grumbling. It's your heart. It's what's coming out of your heart. Moses just makes this extremely clear in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And this is, I'll give you the context here. This is after 40 years in the wilderness. We kind of are right at the beginning, like the first few weeks in the wilderness. Well, at the end of 40 years in the wilderness... Moses is reflecting back on what the Israelites learned. And he says this in verse 2, And you shall remember. In other words, he's telling the Israelites, Don't forget what you've learned in the wilderness. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. The trials in the wilderness were test God was sovereign over these trials they were test and then he was testing you it says to to know what is in your heart in other words these trials that the Israelites found themselves exposed the hearts of the Israelites it exposed the true character of these people in the wilderness listen trials just have a great ability of, of exposing our hearts They expose our hearts. So let me ask you this question again. I just want to dive right into it this morning. What comes out of your heart when you face a trial? You know what should come out as believers? Joy. Joy. Not joy because of the trial itself. Not joy because maybe the evil that has caused this trial that is in your life but joy because we know who's sovereign over your trial. In fact, listen to Philippians 4, verse 4. It says this, and this is a very familiar verse to probably every single person in this room. It starts with a command, rejoice. In Greek, that's an imperative. It's a command, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. In other words, don't rejoice necessarily because of the trial, but but rejoice in the Lord who's sovereign over the trial. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know, always is an interesting word in Greek. You know what it means? It means always. (laughs) Even in trials. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And then Paul just wants to make it very clear. Again, I say rejoice. You know what's interesting about the book of Philippians is that word joy is just everywhere in the book of Philippians. And Paul is in all types of trials. In fact, it's it's, a, it's called a prison epistle because Paul wrote it in prison. Yet Paul talks about joy nonstop in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. James 1 verse 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Why should we count it joy? Not because of the trial itself, but because we know God is doing something. He's sovereign even over our trials. Again, that's what verse 3 says in James James. Chapter 1 verse 3 says this, "For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." In other words, God gives us trials to sanctify us. He gives us trials for our own good, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, When we face a trial, joy should come out because of our complete trust and faith in God. But when we face a trial, right, trials expose the heart. And so if grumbling comes out and not joy and trust, it's clear that that's what was in your heart. Which leads to another important question, and I really want to dig into the heart issue behind grumbling this morning. If grumbling is a heart issue, what is in the heart that causes us to grumble and complain? Well, look at verse 2. Exodus, again, chapter 16, verse 2. It says this, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Verse 3. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when, he sat, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, I'm not sure how much the Israelites had for food at this point when they were crying out to the Lord and grumbling to the Lord. Uh, there's different opinions on this, but they're all guesses. What's clear is that they're running out of food. Again, again, Running out of food is a legitimate concern. We need food to live. In fact, there's not much in life that we actually need. I've been taught in counseling that you look for that word need, and if it's not something that that person actually needs, if they say, I really need this, then you're probably close to an idol. They've elevated that to a need when it's not truly a need. And when you think about it, there's not much in life that you actually need. Well, water and food are two of them. (laughs) To survive, to live, we need water and food. So this is a legitimate concern. The sin wasn't the concern. The sin was the grumbling. Again, look at verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now pay attention to verse 7 and 8, what I'm about to read. And I just want you to pay attention to how many times the word grumble is used here in a different, different forms. Listen, listen again, just, just listen to it. It's almost funny. Verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumbled against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. That word grumble is used five different times in these two verses. Moses is making a point here. Look again at verse 7. Look what he says. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Now that's interesting what Moses says there in verse 7 because just look back at verse 2 real quick. Look what it says. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Who is Israel grumbling against in verse 2? Moses and Aaron. Well, again, in Exodus 15, verse 4, this is is the waters of Merah. This is what we read last week. Listen to this. It says this. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Even before the Red Sea crossing, I want to be clear, the word grumble is not used till the end of chapter 15, but Israel is just a people of grumblers, and they've been grumbling well before the Red Sea, even though that word is not used. So let me give you an example of that. Exodus 14:11 it says this, they, that's the people of Israel, they said to Moses, it is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. That's right, That's grumbling. <laughs> They say, Moses, you're the one that has led us here. Every time up to this point that Israel grumbles, they are grumbling against Moses or Moses and Aaron. But look what it says in verse 7. Look what Moses says. He says this, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Against the Lord, not Moses. And then Moses explains, For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the morning meat to eat, or in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Philip Riken writes this In the case of the Israelites, Although they were taking things out on Moses, they were really angry with God. And let me just stop there. The heart of grumbling is anger at God. The heart of grumbling is anger at God. Let me just keep going with this quote. This is why God always takes our complaints personally. He knows that when we grumble about our personal circumstances... Our spiritual leaders, or anything else, we are really uh, doing, our, what we really are doing is finding fault in Him. We are complaining about what He has provided or not provided, as the case may be. A complaining spirit always indicates a problem in our relationship with God. As I said last week, here's why grumbling is so bad. It's so bad because if God is truly sovereign, which he is Meaning every little thing in our life He is sovereign over who, we are, who are we grumbling against when we grumble? God Who is Adam grumbling against when he was blaming the woman for the sin? It's the woman you gave me Who is Eve complaining against? Who is he, she grumbling against when she was complaining about the serpent? God Again, grumbling, whining, gossiping, slandering just reveals the bitterness that's in our own hearts. Bitterness towards God. We think we can do a better job of the circumstances surrounding our lives than God can. We think if we were in control or if we were sovereign, then there would be nothing to grumble about. When Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron... They were really just grumbling against God because who put Moses and Aaron in charge? Who was leading every single step of Moses and Aaron? God. So we see the character of the Israelites in the wilderness complaining, grumbling, whining, anger with God. When a trial came, anger with God came out. After God has graciously saved them. They grumbled. Now I want to compare this with the character of God. Compare the character of the Israelites with the character of God. So, this my second point this morning is the character of the Lord, the character of Yahweh. Again, look at verse 9. And follow along. It says this verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Now God, I want to be clear, is still revealing his name. Remember, that's, that's the major theme of the book of Exodus. God is revealing what it means that he is Yahweh. He's still revealing his name. Now, Egypt is out of the scene, and so Israel is here, and God is revealing his character and his name, what it means he's Yahweh, to Israel and really to us. As we read about what has happened to the Israelites, God is revealing his glory, his character. Look back at verse 6, in fact. Verse 6 says this, "So, So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know. God, in other words, is revealing knowledge about his name, what it means that he is Yahweh. You shall know That it was the Lord, it was Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. It was Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord. God is revealing his glory, his character to the Israelites. Now look back at verse 10. It says this, verse 10. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Verse 11, and the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Let me just stop there. I want you to think about it. And God is hearing this grumbling, right, after he's graciously saved the Israelites. How do you think God's going to respond? We'll look at verse 12 again. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Again, that phrase, I am, points back to Exodus chapter 3. God's revealing his name. I am Yahweh, your God. God is revealing his name. What it means that he is Yahweh. Yahweh is gracious. He's patient literally as we will see slow to anger that's what it means that God is Yahweh he's slow to anger he is he's a god that will provide for his people you shall know that I am the Lord your god verse 13 in the evening quail came up and covered the camp let me just stop there and just give two quick observation with with quail from our culture this is there's a cultural difference here we don't quite grasp when we hear this word quail Uh, let me just remind you that the israelites lived 400 years with the egyptians so they adopted a lot of the egyptian culture and in the egyptian culture quail was actually considered a delicacy it was the best it wasn't just meat but it was the best meat second observation i just want to be clear before i even say this that this was a miracle people I don't know why go through the Old Testament and try to explain everything through natural causes when it's obvious that the Red Sea parting was a miracle, that the flood was a miracle, that the quail and the manna was a miracle. It was a miracle, but often quail would migrate over the desert, and when they did that, they would get exhausted from the traveling and would stop flying, and they would roost, they would rest and sleep. And when they would do this and would sleep on the desert floor... They would be so exhausted that they would be easily caught by hand. Meaning, it didn't even take much effort to catch these birds. (laughs) God responded to the grumbling, in other words, with grace. With these birds that were both easy to catch and a delicacy. After Israel's complaining, after Israel's grumbling, after they have sinned against God and blamed, them for ev- blamed God for everything, God graciously provided for the Israelites. And this keeps going. Again, verse 13, it says this, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the a wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground, When the people saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now, of course, this is manna. Manna is a Hebrew word that literally means, What is it? (laughs) If you don't think God has a sense of humor, the Israelites say, What is it? And he said, Perfect name. There it is. Look at verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded, Gather each one of you as as much as uh, he can eat. You shall take uh, an almer, uh, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an almer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. In other words There was just plenty to go around They were full They weren't hungry God provided quail for meat to eat And he provided manna Enough for everyone to be full God is revealing He's showing the Israelites He's teaching the Israelites That he will provide God is revealing his name That he is gracious That he is patient That he is a providing father. In fact, all the way through the first 16 chapters of, of Exodus so far, God's interaction with the Israelites is just like a, a father slowly training a son. What it means to be a part of the family, patient, gracious, loving, providing, defending, saving, redeeming. This is how God interacts with his people. This is what it means that God is Yahweh. But God, even in his provision, right, has a test for the Israelites. A test that is there just to reveal the heart of the Israelites. Even in, again, the the abundance, the provision. Look at verse 4. Go back and look at verse 4 real quick. It says this. Again, Exodus 16, verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Again, just very clear. You just take the day's portion and that's it. In Exodus fifteen twenty six, God said this. If you will diligently listen to the voice of your Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments And keep all of his statues In other words, if you listen to my word Listen to what I say And do what what I, what I tell you, Israel I will put none of the diseases on you That I put on the Egyptians For I am the Lord your healer Again, the, the, If If you listen to my words I will put none of the diseases on you That I put on the Egyptians Implying if they don't listen, there would be diseases. Well, look at verse 19. Verse 19, Exodus 16, verse 19 says this. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it till the morning. In other words, they were to collect the manna that God has given to them, just the day's portion. They, they were not to save any of it for the next day. They were to have faith that God will provide for them. For the next day. This was God's command for them. This was God's law in the wilderness. This was God's word. Well, look at verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. In other words, they, they disobeyed. They didn't listen to God's word. Well, look what happened. And it bred worms and stunk, Stink. In other words, it became diseased. And Moses was angry with them because they didn't trust God. They didn't trust God to provide for them. They, they didn't trust God to take care of them. Through all their experience that they've gone through, they still didn't trust God. They didn't listen to his word. There were more concern about their physical needs and what tomorrow will hold than obeying God's word. They didn't trust him. Instead, they took matters into their own hands, trying to save some of the manna, and it became disease, just like God said would happen. In fact, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, because I want you to read this passage with me. It starts off, and as you get there, we'll come back to this, but it starts off saying, And you shall remember and Again, the context of this, this is after 40 years in the wilderness where God was slowly training Israel to trust him. That he was slowly sanctifying them. And we're just in the first few weeks in Exodus, but this is after 40 years of this all happening, and, and, and Moses is telling Israel to remember what you learned in the, in the wilderness when you cross over and go into the promised land. Again, Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says this, and you shall remember that the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you will keep his commandment or not. And he humbled you and, and let you hunger. Let me just make that very clear. God was the one that let Israel hunger. Why? And he fed you with manna. He was testing them. He was revealing in his heart. He was showing them that he is trustworthy. That trial that they went through was because God was sovereign over the trial. He said, "You uh, let you um, hunger and, and fed you with man in which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth. In other words, in the wilderness, Israel was tested. Israel was tested, and what came out of their hearts in the trial in this test was bitterness, grumbling, disobedience, and and really a distrust of God. Again, God's character after Israel's complaining was patient, slow to anger, love, grace, and provision. This leaves me my third point this morning. The character of a pure heart. We have seen Israel's character. We, we've seen God's character. Now I want to look at the character of a pure heart. What, what comes out of someone who has a pure heart during a trial? If you put someone in a trial that has a pure heart, what comes out? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Again, verse 13 says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Let me just explain what's going on here. This was the baptism of repentance. This was John's baptism before the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was a baptism of repentance. People would come and, and, and display a repentive heart. And John sees Jesus coming who is sinless. And John knows that Jesus is sinless saying, Why are you coming to be baptized? should you be baptizing me? I am a sinner. And look what Jesus says. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting... For us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, you're right John, I don't need to repent. But, I will be baptized anyway, purely out of obedience to God. Now, before I go any further, let me just say, Jesus who was sinless, that didn't need to be baptized, was baptized purely out of obedience to God. If you are a Christian and you're not baptized, you're not following Jesus' example. Get baptized. He says, to fulfill all righteousness, then he, that's John, consented. In other words, all right, I'll baptize you. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold... now. There was people that were witnessing this. I don't know exactly what they saw, but can you imagine if you were here? Listen to this. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. I mean, this is just a beautiful scene. Jesus is being baptized The father is saying this is my beloved son And the Holy Spirit is coming down like a dove A beautiful scene A blessing from God And what happens right after this Within one verse A trial Just like Israel After they were baptized in the Red Sea On the other side of The Red Sea they faced a trial In the wilderness Well look at Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 Then Jesus flying right after this then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil just like the Israelites God led Jesus right led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tested to be, to be tempted to a trial right? God doesn't tempt but he led him to the wilderness where Satan came to tempt Jesus And after, look at verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now that may be the greatest understatement in all of scripture right there. He was hungry. He he literally was starving. And Jesus is fully human. 40 days without food, Jesus was hungry. What's going on here? I think it's important that we Know exactly what's going on Just like the Israelites Jesus in his humanity Was waiting on God The father to provide for him After 40 days without food He was waiting for God Trusting him, trusting his father And look at verse 3 It says this And the tempter came and said to him If you are the son of God Command these stones to become loaves of bread Now I think it's important when you go through the three temptations of Jesus. We're just going to go through the first one. It's to ask the question, well, what's the temptation here? Again, Jesus is 100% human, but he's also 100% divine. Meaning, in his divinity, he could easily change stones into bread. In fact, we see all the miracles Jesus did in his, his ministry. One of them was taking a few pieces of bread and a few fish and just multiplying it, feeding thousands. He could have easily made rocks turn into bread or just have bread appear out of thin air then why was jesus hungry because in this moment jesus was called by his father to wait on him to trust him to live in his humanity waiting for god to provide right the temptation was to distrust god to, to say god you're not providing i'm hungry Satan was saying, hey, God, your father's not providing for you. Obviously, he does not love you. Right? He doesn't care about you. In fact, when you find yourselves in a trial, Satan's going to use that same tactic. Why would God allow this happen to me? Does he truly love me? This is, thank you. That's the right answer. This was just like the Israelites in the wilderness. They're angry at God because they felt like God wasn't providing for them. The devil was saying, stop trusting God. Stop listening to his word. In fact, he was saying, take matters into your own hands. Turn these stones into bread, just like the Israelites that grabbed more manna than they were supposed to and held it overnight, disobeying God. Well, look how Jesus responds, verse 4. And he, this is Jesus answered Satan. He says this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy 8. This is what Moses was reminding the Israelites before they crossed into the promised land. In fact, let me just read Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 on one more time. It it says this, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you by these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might Make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Listen, Jesus lived this verse out. Israel was put to the test in the wilderness. What came out of their hearts, because that's what was in their hearts, was bitterness, and grumbling, a distrust of God, and disobedience. Jesus was put to the test in the wilderness And what came out of his heart because he has a pure heart was pure faith and obedience of his father And that's because again, jesus had a pure heart. He was completely sinless And I just love matthew 4 11, and I bring this up every time we talk about the temptations Look at matthew 4 11. It says this this is after jesus was hungry. It says then the devil left him and behold angels came and were ministering to him it means angels came and fed Jesus and and took care of his physical body meaning God provided in a miraculous way for Jesus after the wilderness after this trial amazing listen you squeeze Jesus in a trial and what comes out is just devotion to God Israel's character, their heart, bitterness, faithless, sin-filled. God's character was gracious, patient, and loving. Jesus' pure heart during a trial, what came out was obedience, trust, and faith. So this all leads to one question, and this is where I'll leave you this morning. And this is a question we need to reflect on. What comes out of your heart when you face a trial? Dear Heavenly Father, I I know that last question is so convicting. Lord, I know just in our sinful nature and the flesh that still plagues us, Lord, we have such a tendency to grumble, complain, and, and whine. God, I know we're blinded often thinking that the reason we're grumbling is because we have a legitimate complaint of what's going on and the circumstances that surround our life, Lord. But God, I pray that you continuously remind us, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 8, that, that what comes out of our heart comes out because it was in there. Lord, when we see complaining and grumbling, Lord, God, help us to, to take our thoughts captive and remember who's control of our circumstances. Help us to trust in you, Lord. God, and I am so thankful that Jesus not only is in our, our example, but his righteousness has been given to us for those that have put their faith in, in you, Lord, because we are sinners. We are grumblers, just like the Israelites. Yet Jesus was perfect. And where we failed, he succeeded. in. And he went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. And when we put our faith in him, his righteousness is imputed to us, Lord. Meaning at at that baptism, when you looked down and said, this is my son, who I beloved, my beloved son. That's how you look at us, Lord. Not because of our works, but because of his works, Lord. God, I thank you for his sinful life. I thank you for his pure heart. God, I pray that we put our trust in him and his works and and nothing else. That we strive to be like him, but we know that our only justification is through him. God, I just pray that you're with our church. In your son's name, amen.